well, I've been playing Legend of Zelda, and uh, I must say, I, I approve of the the shirtless Link to open uh, to open the game. That was a, a brave decision, and I'm here for it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you you've got so much to offer here. Uh, I, I, I I honestly thought that everyone was just playing with Link, uh, like shirtless Link by choice. I didn't realize that the game like forces you to do that. <laughs> well, yeah, he starts he starts off shirtless. Poor poor Link, uh, you know, he he loses everything, including <laughs> including his shirt. Uh, that damn Link. There's um there's an Anakin or oh no my Star Wars lore is bad here. Who loses their hand? Is it Anakin? That's Anakin, yeah. But also Luke, right? Doesn't Luke also lose a hand? Oh, yeah. No, you're right. Luke loses his hand, but Anakin kind of loses all of his limbs. Well, no. <laughs> spoilers for episode three. Oh, um, are you are you guys really listening to this podcast? You haven't seen a single <laughs> Star Wars movie? I'm um, sorry, but you got to show yourself to the door at that point. point, point, point. Do I really got to be the asshole that says we got in this thing and went back in time? It must be some kind of hot tub time machine. All right. Welcome, everyone, to the second episode of Hot Take Time Machine. I'm Mike Adiba, and with me is my host, the only man to believe Wakanda is a real place, Ryan Trepanier. How are you doing, Ryan? I'm great. Thanks. Thank you, Michael, for that. I uh, I very appreciate, you know, you betraying my trust like that. Um, but <laughs> Anytime, man. Anytime. I would love to live in Wakanda. Like, maybe that was just me hope casting. I, I, want, I want to live there. It's a great it's place. It's easy to say that now, right? But before you, you were like, "Oh, those poor Wakandans." <laughs> well, now that I know that their technology is so advanced, yeah, yeah, it's not like that wasn't a major plot point of the movie or anything. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's start off with a little bit of a past week roundup. Uh, what What have you been up to, Ryan? What have you been watching, um, or otherwise? Uh, well, I've had, I've had a busy week. Um, I think I'll save uh, I'll, I'll save one of the things. I, I think we're going to talk about it in a second. Um, but as I as I hinted, uh, I saw Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, so we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, but I had a bit of, a bit of a busy week. I um, I finally caught up on the Wes Anderson film, uh, French Dispatch. That's mm. his uh, newest one. I um, haven't it, seen it yet. It's it's um it's it's an anthology story about this like newspaper um the french dispatch it's a wes anderson film so it's great it's funny looks beautiful it wasn't my favorite um i wish i wish that we were with all of these characters for a little bit longer every time a story ended it was like no way and then they're gone um especially um oh i forget his name but benicio del toro yeah yeah him and adrian brody have just an insane insane story at the beginning and it is hilarious and i the whole movie could have been that and i would have loved it um so when we left that that was just really disappointing for me all that being said so like a three 
like a, a three out of five, not out of ten. <laughs> we do letterbox letterbox ratings here out of five. Um, but yeah, it's it's a three, right? Like the worst Wes Anderson film is still like very watchable. Yeah, um, I'm looking forward to to checking it out. My favorite Wes Anderson film, and I, I told you this earlier this week, is still The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Still number yeah. one. I have to I have to get that one. I haven't seen it. I, I like you and I together, I think you and I have seen all the Wes Anderson Anderson films because you started at the beginning and I started halfway in. Um so I haven't seen anything older than like Moonrise Kingdom, basically. Yeah, uh, there's some good stuff in there. Um Royal Tenenbaums, def- definitely worth a watch. Darjeeling Limited is great. I mean, honestly, you can watch any of his films. And... That's my point. Like, he, has he made a bad film? Like, I I don't think so. I, yeah, Wes Anderson is great. I will say, I have this like really weird relationship with Wes Anderson. I always love watching his movies, but I never want to sit down and watch them. Like, they they always get put on the back burner. I'm never excited there's never a desperation to watch a wes anderson film but every time i'm there i'm like oh this is great why didn't i do this sooner i kind of understand where you're coming from um i think for me the the poll for watching a wes anderson film is who's featured in it it's definitely like there's star power films right like whenever you see this person so and so has been cast in a wes anderson film you're like oh that's cool or you see one of his previous collaborators has been cast in his next film and that kind of pulls you towards it as well. It's funny you say that. I I don't know if I agree with that. I find Wes Anderson, Wes Anderson's actors are basically puppets. I I don't think they get a lot to do necessarily. Like there is a style that Wes Anderson just imposes on everyone and he just gets actors that can do that. I, I don't think of, you know, um, who's who's in uh, Moonrise Kingdom? Um, Bruce Edward Willis, Norton. Edward Ed, Norton. Edward Norton, right? Edward Norton is a fantastic actor, but I never think of Moonrise Kingdom as an Edward Norton movie, right? I think, like, I think of his other movies where he gets more room and freedom to cook. I don't know if there's as much freedom in these Wes Anderson films. Like, you know, we we've both seen the uh, the trailer for Asteroid City, and that absolutely ridiculous list of of cast members truthfully like it's not going to be a steve carell movie it's not going to be an anything movie it they're going to have these like brief moments they're not really going to get to cook much but they're going to be in this like beautiful wes anderson world that looks like nothing else that we have and you know i i love it for that but yeah I, i don't know i just i've never i've never thought about the actors in a wes anderson film if that makes any sense i maybe i didn't explain that as well as i could have but it's not necessarily like oh i see steve carell or edward norton or scarlett johansson casted in a wes anderson film um and expect like a steve carell or scarlett johansson performance it is mostly about like oh i want to see how wes anderson's style meshes with that actor or actress right so like for a, I think a lot of people share this, but like I'm looking forward to finally seeing like Wes Anderson cast Michael Sarah 
in a movie <laughs> right like that is such yeah. that is like a a dream like five star pair you know so it, it's 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 coming at it from that angle not necessarily like oh i i want to see this person act their ass off in this yeah. movie it's more so let's see what they do in wes anderson's playground yeah and on playground is a great word right like wes anderson has created this playground that is completely different from anything that we have and and it's fun to see how actors work in that and obviously the ones that are good at it keep coming back like owen wilson i'm getting that right right owen wilson yeah, yeah well owen i mean wilson, both him and luke wilson are return returning um cast members well and owen owen wilson was in the um the previous like the one i just watched the french dispatch right and he's just so you know he's made for that world bill murray is made for that world adrian brody is made for that world it's yeah it, it's it's really cool to see but you never feel like you're you're never seeing the real versions of any of those actors right like you're seeing yeah. very much a wes anderson version of that and it's it's just super cool yeah i i'm sorry i think i got you on a tangent there but please uh go on with <laughs> Uh, well, the rest of your week. Um, yeah. Um, so French Dispatch, Guardians, we'll talk about in a second. I just finished Spider-Man 2. Uh, great film. Inspired by our uh, No Way Home conversation last week. Yeah. Yeah. I, I instructed our listeners, just go watch Spider-Man 2. And I, I'm going to double down on that. Just go watch Spider-Man 2. At least he takes his own advice. He might be wrong, but at least he takes his own <laughs> advice. Uh, I truthfully, I don't know if I've rewatched Spider-Man Two since the first time I saw it. And when I saw it, I was a stupid kid who didn't understand comic books, who didn't understand the sense of humor that that movie had. Um, and now having seen it again, I was laughing my ass off. I didn't realize how funny the movie was. But also, like, incredibly hard-hitting when he gives up being Spider-Man and then goes back to it. Uh, that scene with, um, uh, what's the what's the editor-in-chief? I, I don't know this very well. The editor-in-chief's name. Uh, the- J. Jonah Jameson. There you go. Uh, he's, uh, you know, he's lamenting that he was ever mean to Spider-Man because uh, his, his daughter-in-law has just been kidnapped. Um, and he's looking at the... He's looking at the the suit on the wall that he that was given to him, and all of a sudden Spider Man comes in in a flash and steals it. And Jonah Jameson is back on that. I hate Spider Man, and you know, like it's just it's such a funny scene that J.K. Simmons pulls off perfectly, and it's really Perfect the spirit casting. of that movie. Yeah. Perfect casting too. Um, yeah, that that to me is like one of the best comic book movies, like superhero movies hasn't really been beaten i don't think i mean like no way home is still one of my favorite spider-man movies i really like into the into the spider-verse 2 i i almost feel like i don't know some days i think just to clarify just to clarify michael you know that wasn't into the spider-verse as well not well. you you yes. haven't gotten a, a, an advanced screening of spider-man 2 that you didn't invite me to is what no you're... i'm i'm not there yet i'm not okay there yet. we All are right. not there yet <laughs> because um, you gotta let me know this <laughs> yeah for sure you would be my plus one um but into the spider-verse and spider-man 2 i think those are the two best 
Spider-Man movies and some of the best like comic book movies. But yeah, Spider-Man 2, it's got the heart, it's got the comedy, and like it's just it's a great time. Well, and, and good action, considering that this action is almost 20 years old now. Like the action is incredible. Still yeah. Incredible. And, and amazing how much they were able to do with practical effects as well. Yeah. No, it's 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 very, very cool. I think what I'm gonna do, homework that I'm gonna make for myself is go back to No Way Home one more time and see if liking spider-man 2 the way that i just did makes no way home a little bit better i think one thing i wanted to add about the spider-man thing i can kind of see where you're coming from with the no way home criticism you know if you didn't grow up with either toby Maguire or andrew garfield as your spider-man and it feels kind of weird to say that to think that there's people who grew up with andrew garfield as their first spider-man but if you didn't have that attachment to either, then I I can understand how it would, be, it would be weird coming into No Way Home or feeling like, ah, oh, this is not really doing it for me. I don't know if if that really, like, the, the fact that, like, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield were the best part of No Way Home. I, I, like, I feel that way. The movie takes an hour and a half to get there. and And I think that's the problem. I think Andrew Garfield for sure is like the best part of that movie. And it's such a, and I think that's the the other reason why it's so special is like, it's kind of a redemption arc for his Spider-Man because he had two movies and like he was stepping into pretty big shoes because everyone still remembered Tobey Maguire and his movies. Like, I think the first movie was well-received, but the second movie, if I remember correctly, got heavily shit on right and it kind of ended that whole series and the whole like shared universe that they were planning to do so when he showed up in this one and he was still full of like the same enthusiasm like hadn't missed a beat and he got that moment to save zendaya (laughs) you know he didn't that he didn't get in his own trilogy or his own series not trilogy Yeah. yeah You know, that that's what made that movie so special, you know. Like I would actually argue Toby Maguire was good, but he wasn't great. He was just kind of there. Um another and not to cut you off, but another great part of that movie. I think Alfred Molina as Doctor Octopus, give that man his flowers. Actually, all the villains that returned, give them the their flowers. Yeah. Well, I, I except Jamie Foxx, who was just a different character it's like i'm not playing that loser i'm i'm playing jamie fox on this movie like that that was never that character you know what it worked though i let it slide and i was <laughs> oh, like okay. maybe he got it he got him from like a different multiverse where like electro's cool i guess <laughs> um one last thing i want to say before i like beat no way home into the ground i I feel like this dialogue between multiple Spider-Mans was just done in such a much better way in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. So I didn't need Toby and Andrew relating to Tom Holland and and these three Spider-Mans, like what it means to be Spider-Man. Into the Spider-Verse does that in such an incredible way that it rang less true for me because I'd already seen it like a year ago or two years ago, whatever into the spider-verse came out and and that movie just does it in 
a stylistic way, a, a way that is much more resonant. I just, you know, it didn't do it for me. And in the moment, maybe I was excited to see this like cool crossover event, but rewatching it, it just doesn't, it doesn't carry the same weight where Into the Spider-Verse gets me every single time. I've seen that movie like 10 times and I still feel the same thing. Yeah, but you know, Marvel, they have to get their own bag, their own <laughs> slice of the pie, right? So I'm not surprised uh, they, they repeated that, that theme, right? It makes sense. But I, there's something else that you wanted to talk about, Ryan, that's not movie or TV related. And what is it? I, I did mention this in the last uh, episode a little bit, but uh, Tears of the Kingdom came out last Friday, Michael. And if you're one of the 10 million people who bought a copy of that game, like myself, uh, you've, been, you've been playing a ton of Zelda. And I know you're still playing Breath of the Wild. Yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a slowpoke when it comes to games. It's completely opposite from my movie and TV intake. So yeah, I'm still playing. I can tell you Tears of the Kingdom is fantastic. Uh, I'm not going to say anything special or, or new. I, it's getting crazy reviews. Everyone loves it. Uh, the game is familiar and fresh at the same time. The, the mechanics that they've added... At first, I I wasn't sure I was going to like them. There is um, it's not it's not a spoiler to say that there's a build mechanic in the game. Um, so you're you're you know I forget what the abilities are called in the original Zelda, but you you have like a magnet ability and a stop time ability and a couple of like the making ice blocks ability in Breath of the Wild. Those are all erased in um, Tears of the Kingdom, and instead you get three new abilities. One of them is to fuse things together to to build things out of other things so you can put a rock on a on a board or or attach a bunch of boards together to create a bridge um you can attach a rock to your wooden stick to make it a rock hammer um things like that so it's a very like minecrafty sort of element without at all feeling or looking like minecraft but it's it creates this world, it creates this environment very similar to Breath of the Wild where you can interact with the environment in any way that logically makes sense to you. Now you can build things that logically make sense to you. You know, building building a cart to, to travel around or building a shelter to stop rain from hitting something that needs to burn. It, it's, it's very very cool very intuitive um you can argue that maybe the the controls on that are a little finicky but honestly you never feel it i almost didn't podcast with you today uh opting to just play (laughs) more uh play more of the game but uh you you won out barely 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 he says see look second episode and (laughs) we we just barely made it to recording um it I'm not going to lie, Tears of the Kingdom, and I don't doubt that it's a great game, but it, it kind of reminds me of uh, Fortnite in a lot of in a lot of ways. Have you ever seen that game? I, I have. I've uh, never played it, uh, in case you're shocked. Um, but uh, yeah. You're not missing out on much. The game, as it is now, compared to where it was when it first came out, it's like a completely different game. Um, the game used to be kind of like 
based around this whole like building mechanic and i don't want to spend too much time talking about this because it's fortnite <laughs> um but it used to be built around this building mechanic and now it's like more so about the celebrity or like like just random character skins you can get like you can yeah. play as john wick or thanos or goku from dragon ball z it's uh i haven't touched it in in years but um the kids love it so and someone's making money off of it all right um so i didn't expect to get to this next segment uh so early in the podcast but uh we're already at an old takes exposed <laughs> so yeah. last week ryan was talking a little bit spicy about the mcu saying he's given up end quote on the mcu um I believe you've watched Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, and there's a couple words you'd like to say. Uh, yeah, I saw Guardians last week, a couple of hour, an hour after we podcasted, and holy shit, am I back in. I'm sorry, but our, our viewers at home cannot see the video right now, but if you could see Ryan, he looks like a kid who got his hand caught in the cookie jar. Like, <laughs> he's got a lot to apologize for that movie was so good that like from from the very start also I, there's so much i have to say about guardians but i laughed my ass off and maybe this is the meta joke here that i enjoyed but i, I don't know if you remember the trailer and the advertisements for guardians but there's this epic slow motion shot of all the guardians walking together slowly and uh, is it Nebula or Mantis who's holding Peter Quill's Nebula. limp, limp yeah. body? Nebula. And, and you're supposed to be like, I, I'm like, oh, no, is Star-Lord dead? Are we okay? That shot happens five minutes into the film. It's because Peter Quill is drunk. Like, he's hung over. And... I I la like I laughed hard at that because that the, because of how they chose to market that scene. <laughs> I think there's a couple of like I noticed there's a couple of like slow motion like all the guardians shots in that yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, they, I mean the the movie's incredible. All of the stuff about the animal cruelty, like I couldn't have been nothing could have prepared me for for what James Gunn like did in that movie the amount of of pain and like weeping that i did over a cgi raccoon and a cgi otter and and a cgi walrus and what what is floor what is floor floor is a, a rabbit, rabbit. yeah uh, terrifying rabbit by the way all of those animals uh terrifying to look at i i question at points like is this supposed to be a kid's movie <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's not a kids' movie. Please do not take your children. Do not take your children to this movie. No, no, no. It it made me um it made me think of Sid from uh, from uh Toy, Toy Story. Story. Yeah. Ironically enough, uh human Sid uh look alike uh Will Poulter plays Adam Warlock in the movie. A character that I loved. Uh Adam Warlock in that film was so hilarious. And I know that this is going to make some people mad, maybe yourself included, Michael, but I love taking a character that in the comics is cool and making him an absolute like, gas bag. Like he is, he, he is hilarious. My issue with Adam Warlock in the movie was not that 
he they took a cool character and made him like uncool or whatever because i think going into this they actually said like oh the adam warlock in this movie is like he's like a baby almost like he's he's like a newborn he right? is a baby in this movie. <laughs> so like I I was I was fine with that. I was like, okay, sure, yeah, it makes sense. I guess he's just born, he's fresh or whatever. Yeah. But I, my issue with Adam Warlock in the movie is he just isn't in it for a lot of the movie. And when he is, he doesn't really have much to do apart from that beginning incident. And now going forward, I want to ask you, Ryan, are we gonna do a spoiler-free talk, or are we going to include spoilers? I I feel like I feel like at this point, um, I think we can spoil Guardians. So, and so, maybe you can put a timestamp here for people. I will put a, a spoiler alert here for people. Um, do not proceed past this point if you haven't seen Guardians and you want to see it and you don't want it spoiled for you. If you don't care, then carry on. So, Adam Warlock, severely underused, I felt. I, I think, yes, he plays an important role by, like, kind of getting the whole plot going. He mortally wounds Rocket. Yeah. But after that, he's kind of useless. He's kind of just, like, this big, goofy, like, oh, and I, I don't know. Maybe I was just kind of like, we have enough of these in the MCU. We have one in this movie, which is Drax. We have Thor. It's like, do we really need another like another guy who doesn't understand social cues? But think about, I, I mean, I, like that—that's a fair comment. Like, is this just another Drax? Is this just another um, Thor? But as a way of introducing a character that presumably is going to be used again, this is a really nice way to endear us to this character, and now we can grow from this. If this if this is the Adam Warlock we're gonna see for the next five films that he's in, then I agree with you completely. It's stupid. I don't want this. But think about how we met Drax. Drax is a good example. Drax is a dumbass in in the first movie. He is just an absolute yeah. moron, and that's the fun. And he grows a little bit in every movie subsequent that he gets to appear in. And until we get his climactic arc of Drax as father, which was, it paid off completely. I want the same thing for Adam Warlock. That's fair. You know, I mean, maybe I'll look back on that comment in a couple years from now and I'll have to do my own old takes exposed. <laughs> um, but I think the other side of the issue is Marvel does this thing, right? Where they need to prep you or get you hyped up for the next few installments mm. right and uh black panther wakanda forever suffers from this as well where they kind of shoehorn riri riri williams into the story and they don't really give her much to do and i kind of felt the same way with adam warlock it's like this is a preview of what's to come and the only time that they've been able to shoehorn a character in and maybe i'm just biased because i love this character and having it work is Spider-Man in Captain America Civil War. Yeah, and, and that worked because we knew Spider-Man. We knew who Spider-Man was. We didn't need to be introduced to Spider-Man. So there, the, the amount of work that they had to do in Civil War was just literally bring us to New York. And now we know Spider-Man is here, right? That was a that was an epic thing. The the thing I'll push back on is as much as Adam Warlock is in the movie, which let's be honest, isn't a lot. 
the movie never cares about Adam Warlock. The movie never and, and never forces us to care about Adam Warlock. We are not we are not meant to to relate to or or we barely spend any time alone with Adam Warlock in Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. There is a whole reread like let's go to Chicago or wherever the university is and get Riri out of, um, you know, we, we have to, we have to save her and rescue her. And there's a car chase and all of this is revolving around this character. You know, Will Poulter's character, Adam Warlock is just popping in and out. And every time he does, I'm laughing my butt off every single time, you know, he's pouting with his mother and he's, he's being, you know, he's in there for 30 seconds and then he's gone. And then he's in there like, it, it worked for me, but I had no preconceived notions of Adam Warlock. I didn't. I didn't even know he was going to be in the film, to be honest, until until. Oh, happened. really? Yeah, okay. I, I didn't. So nothing. I just enjoyed it, and and when he was on, I laughed. And honestly, that movie needed to be funny because when it wasn't funny, it was killing my soul. So what I do agree on is that Adam Warlock was hilarious. He was a really funny character. And yeah, you're right. That movie did need to be funny. He definitely didn't annoy me in any way. I just, I would have liked to to see more of him or more integration of him into the plot. But that being said, him and his uh, little furry pet thing. Yes. Great duo. Great duo. <laughs> yeah. Now, speaking of little furry pet things, we have to talk about what's the heart of this movie, which is Rocket Raccoon's story. Oh, I thought you were going to say Cosmos. Cosmos is the heart of this movie. I mean, I mean Cosmos, be... <laughs> uh, give Cosmos uh, her flowers as well. Cosmos, the, was the most, the most telegraphed joke or or plot line of the entire movie is is uh Seth uh, is it Seth Gunn? Is that his name? Sean Gunn. I believe. Sean Gunn. Sean Gunn's character. I don't know these characters' names, but Sean Gunn's character calling Cosmos a bad dog in the beginning of the movie, and you know that we're coming back. You know that the heart of this movie is going to be at the very end when Sean Gunn concedes that Cosmos is in fact a good dog. <laughs> I I have never been happier for something to happen. So I mean, all credit where credit is due. Cosmo is definitely. A part of the heart and soul of the movie but i mean rocket and his friends that was just like i mean i have never teared up and cried so much at a marvel movie i actually want to read my uh letterbox review here if i had a nickel for every time this movie had me tear up over a cgi raccoon i'd have enough to pay marvel's vfx artists a living wage <laughs> Mic drop. Wow, that <laughs> you just read your own joke. That's that's like liking your Facebook comment. <laughs> that's what we're all about here at Hot Take Time Machine. When Rocket, when Rocket's first word is hurts as he points to his head. That that stayed with me. Like I came, I still think about that. Our um our dog just had a a dental surgery, like like the day the day before we saw this film and so so i was tormenting my partner by by inserting their name instead and with the word hurts that, that this is how our dog must feel as well um which didn't go over well surprisingly enough but uh it's all it's i just, wanted to uh, do while watching this movie was go home and hug my dog rodman 
the um the the point that got me was their conversation in heaven uh the lila and rocket getting reunited and i don't know if james gunn wants you to feel this way but i was legitimately upset that he wasn't allowed to stay like i i think i i wanted rocket to die not for the story but for rocket like like that that is what's best for rocket right let let rocket die my my sense is that the movie was dark enough as it is and i guess like disney was like look you can go nuts so crazy with how dark you want to make this movie but you can't kill off any of the characters because that's just going to upset the kids way too much well especially the cgi ones that they need for their for their b team guardians that that we we get at the end yeah um I, I still don't think this is a kid's movie. You keep saying kid's movie. Well, what was this rated? Was this PG? I mean, it's definitely PG-13. It does feature Marvel's first F-bomb. It does. That was that was incredible. And it was a fantastic use of the F-bomb. Uh, that was, was, that was great. Was. Yeah. There's a lot to love in this movie. Every single character that we've been on this journey with throughout these three Guardians movies gets their shine um even characters that to be honest i didn't really care for previously like nebula i loved nebula in this movie she's so great i think nebula is the best part of this movie i I think for me it's like nebula uh adam warlock i know you i know you think that's insane (laughs) but in terms of like like their their shooting percentage like they are every time nebula says something it's funny every time adam warlock does something it's funny I will absolutely take the opportunity to make a basketball reference here and say that watching this movie and watching everyone come together and operate at like such a high level, it was like watching, I don't know, the 2017 Warriors lineup or something. It's like watching the Warriors come back from that 3-1 deficit. Like just amazing. Everyone's firing on all cylinders. Even, even... Again, another character that I was kind of lukewarm on, especially after Infinity War, even Star-Lord. I liked Star-Lord in this movie. Yeah, he he has a really... The the nuance of what they do with Star-Lord and Gamora is incredibly, like, heartfelt. I was going to say, and I love the fact that they didn't get together at the end. You know, I think they easily could have fandangled it some way so that they end up together happily ever after but i love the fact that they didn't gamora goes with the ravengers uh peter quill's old family and peter quill goes to earth to his actual family to find himself yeah i just i love that ending for their character well and, and gamora like you see gamora happy like it's such a it's such a cool ending that doesn't happen enough that this character has changed and doesn't need to go back and is happy where they are now. Both of them, really. And speaking of the ending, the entire dog days are over sequence. Fantastic. I I mean, if there is a song that has, that has gotten second life after second life after second life, it is Dog Days by Florence and the Machine. I know I like I definitely saw some stuff where like people are like oh it's too much and I could not disagree more that is exactly what we needed after the darkest movie we've ever seen in the MCU not like there's not a darker movie there's not a movie that makes us feel more pain like the 
closest thing would be Black Panther Wakanda Forever, but even this yeah. is somehow darker. I kind of wish that this movie came out during Phase 4. I think it would have fit nicely into Phase 4 with the whole like new beginnings yeah. uh, theme that they had and also like yeah, you know, I mean, beside a movie like Wakanda Forever, I think it would have matched it would have meshed well. It was supposed to come out earlier. Like this movie is is at least a year or two delayed from where it was supposed oh, is to come. It? Yeah, yeah. And I, I had think no idea. yeah, I think part of that had to do with like the James Gunn firing and rehiring thing. Um, but this this had planned to come out earlier. And and you're right, it would have fit it would have fit much better. Like maybe in between, you know, Black Widow and, and Shang-Chi or something, like, you know, to give us to give us a sense that hey, these movies are still good. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is kind of nice that it came out when it did because you know, it gave and I, I'm sure you feel the same way. It gave you hope after watching the atrocity that is Quantumania. I still haven't seen it, although it did come out on Disney Plus. Um, so I don't know how bad it is. Crawl, don't run. The the problem is though, Michael. You say hope, but I like I want the Marvels to be good. Yes, it looks fantastic. Right, it looks really good. It looks really good. And I, I, I agree, you know, like this is no guarantee that the Marvels or any MCU movie from here on out is going to be good. But I think that Marvel will see the reaction that they got to Guardians 3 and knowing them a big corporation, they're going to try and replicate it in some way. So I think we could see more movies like this maybe, but I don't know if they're going to work because again, like I said last week, this is a James Gunn movie. Exactly. Like you can you can try to do this all you want, but James Gunn is how you try and do this. And DC has him now. So good luck. Let's just go see Superman instead. Let's jump off the MCO trip. Talk about fumbling the bag to lose James Gunn to DC. Yep. Wow. Yep. Um, before we move on from Guardians, there is one aspect of the film that we haven't talked about yet, which is the villain, the high evolutionary. Um, I have my own thoughts, but I want to give you the floor first. I, I thought this guy was fantastic. I mean, this is the John Wick formula. Hurt a dog and or an animal, and we will <laughs> fucking kill you in any way we can. Right? You you fucking touch their hair once. And like it it makes it so easy to hate him. He's fantastic. And I'm glad that they didn't give him too much of a, you know, maybe this guy is right. Like this guy is not right. No, I think that's why he's so effective is like, because he's just straight up evil. for What seems like no reason. (laughs) No, no. He's just, he just wants to, maybe this movie is anti-knowledge. Like it, you know, he just wants (laughs) to learn more. He's driven by a single goal, which is creating the perfect civilization. And he doesn't care who he destroys in in his pursuit of that and yeah i I loved him as a villain i think he was fantastic every time he appeared on screen yeah i I was like what is he gonna do next which is what you want from a villain um i said this after i saw the movie but that is the kang we deserved yes yeah yeah exactly and and i mean i don't really think not to say that his performance was bad, but it's not like he did anything showy, 
right? Like he didn't he didn't pull off any sort of like Oscar real like um oh my goodness, Angela Bassett, like Angela Bassett and and her Oscar nomination. Like we're not going to be saying nominate the high evolutionary for a supporting actor role or anything like that, but he did exactly what he needed to do and and he made us invest in his in his demise, right? Like uh, yeah, I've, I I can't remember like needing a villain to die more than this one because he hurt Rocket. Like, I mean, like unforgivable. Well, and Teeps and and Floor and Lila, like oh, just oh my goodness. I think we're gonna take a moment of silence for uh, Rocket's friends, uh, T Teeps, Lila with an F, right? Teeps. I I don't know. I, don't I, th- I like like T E E F S. I think and. Uh, well, our listeners can tell us if we're wrong here. Well, that's embarrassing. We were going to take a moment of silence for them. <laughs> Whatever his name is. Uh, plus Lila, plus four. Um, we love you. We remember you. And we hope you are enjoying uh, furry CGI animal heaven. They get to see the sky. So, um, Guardians, we've talked about that. Um, there is another movie that... Um, I finally saw this week, and you saw over last weekend. Yep, that we're finally able to talk about A twenty four and Ari Aster's new flick, Bo is Afraid, starring Joaquin Phoenix. Bo is Afraid. I have been looking forward to this movie the minute you showed me the trailer. I believe you showed me the trailer, and yes, uh, yeah, Um, Ari Aster, director of Hereditary, Midsommar two f- films that i absolutely love this is a bit of a left turn for him because the previous two films are um horror movies the first one uh more so is like a straight-up horror movie second one it's a little bit up in the air this one i mean i don't know would you say that it's a horror movie ryan so I wouldn't okay, I wouldn't tell anyone this is a horror movie because I wouldn't want them to go in with an expectation of what we think of as horror. But is this movie horrific? Absolutely. This movie makes you feel the same things. It's essentially a two and a half hour nightmare, right? I mean it's it's like yeah, I, I think it I think uh, it's a three-hour panic attack. Sorry, sorry. It's <laughs> it's a two and a half hour nightmare that I I left early. I guess it's a three-hour movie. I forgot that. Um, yeah, it's a three-hour panic attack nightmare, whatever. But like, it it is not comfortable the way that you feel in Midsommar. I, I this movie has a lot more in common with Midsommar than I expected it to in terms of how I felt. Um, it's just. If Midsommar was playing at regular speed, this is playing at like five times speed or ten times speed in terms of, you know, what's happening. It reminded me a lot of a movie that another A24 film, one that I, I don't think you liked a lot, but I I loved, which was Uncut Gems. Um, Uncut Gems was a an anxiety and inducing uh, theater experience for me because the movie just like kind of starts and like everyone is just arguing yelling cursing whatever and it just does not let up for its entire two-hour runtime yeah. that's kind of how i felt in this one we rarely get like any quiet moments unless uh, outside of like Bo literally being asleep <laughs> yeah yeah no i i i know what you mean and i i didn't like uncut gems um i 
I know I'm in the minority there. I still need to watch it again, maybe give it another chance. But just the the way that Joaquin Phoenix is depicting this this anxiety, this it, it's such a it's such a mindfuck, right? The whole movie, you're trying to decide what's real. And I usually hate that. I usually hate not knowing what what's real or not and a director choosing to be like oh no the thing you were investing in for an hour um it, it it's it didn't happen um you know not not to go off on a tangent but we we don't you and i have fallen off of yellow jackets um the tv show and i think part of that for me at least is this unreliable narrator has really upset me now because it's just being used as a way to pull the rug underneath us. I, I just interject for a second. I call that the lost problem. Yeah. So yeah. the TV show lost, if anyone remembers that um, suffers from that a lot where it's like, okay, we're how many seasons deep? We need some answers right now. I do have some thoughts on what you're, what you're saying, but please go on. What this movie does is it primes you right away. Literally, the first shot of the film is, I th- I, well, I say literally, I'm pretty sure it's the first shot of the film. Joaquin Phoenix is in his psychiatrist's office, and he offers him a experimental new pill that might have side effects, and he must take it with water. Absolutely must take it with water, which is a hilarious joke that gets paid off in about 20 minutes from that shot. I, I guess we didn't mention, Michael, that we are we are definitely spoiling Bo's Afraid. Well, I I figured we haven't really gone into spoiler territory just yet. Okay. But if we is this a good time to put in the spoiler? Yeah, I, I think honestly, I think that if you're going to if we're gonna talk about this film, I, th- I think we have to talk about what happens. All that being said, this this movie is not it's not spoilable in terms of the plot. Like the plot doesn't matter. It's the experience. Like I think everyone should watch this film with as little knowledge about what's going to ha- about like what is about to take place. But it's not because like Luke Luke's father is Darth Vader. Like there is no yeah. major twist in this film. It's just insanity, and you should go in blank and experience the roller coaster. I mean, we're definitely going to put a spoiler alert here, but. Even just hearing us talk about the movie and what happens in it, I don't think does the movie justice. No, it doesn't. It's really like you have to see it to believe it type of thing. I 100% agree with you. And with all the prep that I had done before going to see the movie and the trailers, I still wasn't ready for what we got. I, I still did not know how insane this was going to be. And it really, really is. It It is such a such a trip but as i was saying the you know the movie tells you right away that we can't trust Bo. we can't trust what Bo sees and what's happening to Bo because of the medication that he has been given this secret special medication so we know that there is like like we're we're always on the lookout is what's happening actually happening so there's a really a really funny ridiculous scene like very quickly where Bo needs to get water to to take his pill and he goes across the store to a convenience store the worst convenience store on earth leaving (laughs) open the door to his to his apartment and 
every person on the street funnels into this apartment and they lock him out. I I love that scene. I thought that was such a <laughs> it was just so funny. <laughs> it was. But but are we are we to assume like like I'm watching that and I'm like, this isn't actually happening. Like, like this is not the reality. So, this is what he is feeling, right? This is so my theory with the movie is almost none of it actually happens. Yeah. But yeah. um be, just because of Bo's mind state, just because he is such an anxiety-ridden person, this is literally how he sees the world. Yeah. He sees it as like this terrifying, like mess of like it's all of these all of the things that exist in our world are just amplified like um like you see a scene in the beginning where like there's a guy selling like guns just on the side of the street <laughs> and someone is like just inspecting the gun like just getting ready to buy it yeah it's like these things exist but they're just amplified because of bo's anxiety and his just his mind state and how yeah. terrified he is of the yeah. world. You know? Well, birthday stab man or whatever the the best joke in the movie. Birthday stab man, birthday boy stab man is on the loose. <laughs> <laughs> well, I see the. I mean, there are so many good jokes in the movie, but when he's googling, um, you know, do you need to take this medication with water? And the first hit is a funeral home. I thought that was really. I thought that was really <laughs> funny. Um, the whole, like, it's weird to call this movie a comedy, but it 100% is a comedy. Ari Aster has a sick sense of humor. And I don't mean sick in like, shout out to our Gen Z listeners or millennials. <laughs> I don't mean sick in like a good way. I mean, sick in like <laughs> a, a very twisted way. And like, uh, to go back to what you were saying in the beginning, Ryan, about, um, you know, the way that this movie is kind of presented. This movie only works because of Ari Aster. He is so like, like it's such a technically impressive movie. And I think it's his best directed movie by a long shot. Now, all of that being said, I do have to come out and say, I don't think I like the movie as much as you. Because right now we're talking, we're we're only talking about my favorite parts of the movie, which all happen to take place in the first, I think, forty five minutes or an hour of the movie. Um, there's a lot that happens at Bo's apartment, um, you know, with him having to get water for his medication and all of that. But as soon as Bo leaves his apartment or is forcefully taken from his apartment. In my opinion, the movie starts this very slow decline. Um, so I will, I'll let you have the floor for it because it looks like you have something to say. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I disagree with you here, right? We we briefly talked about this. I I think. I mean, that being said, there are there's great moments peppered throughout, right? Like I I can think of a couple of great moments that happen later in the film, but. I just like the way that it started off. I was like, wow, I think I'm really going to like this movie. And then we got further and further away from that. And I was like, ooh, I don't know. Like, I I was thinking about this before the pod today. And there's so many great moments that I can think of in isolation that really work for me. But when the movie, when I think of the movie as like a, a whole, when I think, when I put all those pieces together, 
it just doesn't click for me. Yeah, I I accept that. I think I think you sort of you know you you've sort of not told on yourself, but Ari Aster is not making a normal movie, right? He is he is not trying to make a normal movie with a beginning, middle, and end. It, this is not a narratively cohesive movie that is fun to watch because you're you're cheering for Bo and, and you want to see him succeed. I mean, the plot of this movie is one sentence. A son needs to return to his mother's home, period. That's what the movie's about. It's a journey. It's I'll be home for Christmas. It's every one of these journey movies. And that's the only plot we get in the entire movie. I think what I like, like why this movie worked so much for me is the way it made me feel. It made, it made me feel every spectrum of the emotions throughout the entire film. I was laughing my ass off at Bo at the beginning, that whole scene in his apartment, I think is a, is an incredible (laughs) setup. Fantastic. But then we get, then we get like transported to this, this family's home, which is incredible. And just putting Joaquin Phoenix in this girl's bedroom, like the, the comic gold of that, it just, just everything around him is hilarious. And, you know, I we go from this, this comedy to this anxiety, and then we are learning more and more about his relationship with his mother, at least through his own mind, which again, as we've said, we can't trust it. Um, Mm -hmm. and then you get more and more angry. And I don't know if this is my own personal experiences, um, or, you know, how I feel about these things, but as we learn more and more about what his mother has sort of done to him and why he is the way he is, I start relating to Bo a lot more than I ever thought I could when we get this ridiculous 30 minute sequence at the beginning. I mean, I think Bo is a pretty relatable character. I, I felt that way for sure. Um, I think if you've ever been in a imperfect family and you have like maybe a weird relationship <laughs> with one of your parents or even both, I think you can easily relate to Bo. Um, I guess my issue with it, and again, I was trying to uh, trying to boil this down before the podcast, and you've already kind of touched on this, is that as a piece of entertainment, and I know some people might take issue with this because it's like, oh, you know, films are art. Does art always have to be entertaining, et cetera, et cetera? I would say that. <laughs> <laughs> it just, I don't think it was, it was, I don't think all of it was entertaining enough. I think there are parts, specifically the first half of it, that are super entertaining. And I would love to go back and watch that, but. Do I see myself throwing this on, you know, once a year type of thing to revisit it? I don't know. Um, that being said, if you haven't seen it and you are listening to this spoiler-filled uh, <laughs> talk, then go see it. It is worth seeing. It's. I think everyone should at least see it once. And I'm, I am very happy that this film exists. I think that um, Ari Aster did something that is very daring and um like i said from a directorial standpoint it's it's a very impressive film and yeah i'm glad it exists because you know this will this pushes the medium forward but 
did everything stick? Not quite. You know, I'm very much on the fence. I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it either. Sure, sure. And and I like I completely accept that. Like you're not wrong for not loving this film, and this is definitely going to be one of these divisive films. I do step back and I look at it, and I'm glad that Ari Aster has this movie in his, you know, in his filmography. This is a movie I think 10 years from now or 20 years from now, we're gonna be like, wow, this this guy made that movie. Like, I think this is the movie we're going to actually remember ari aster for um and that's not to that's i don't i don't actually think it's a better movie than hereditary or been necessarily um you know those two movies are incredible uh i love them i think i love them a little bit more than Bo was afraid even but i think this is the movie where ari aster is doing something incredibly different but he's also doing it incredibly well um, mm-hmm. And I mean, Midsommar and Hereditary are also two horror films that are very different. Midsommar is a, a horror film set in broad daylight for two hours and 45 minutes. Like, that is that is incredible. Um, Hereditary, as he's described it himself, is a family drama. <laughs> <laughs> and then Midsommar is a, is a breakup movie. Yeah, it's a breakup movie. Exactly. I mean... It, Midsommar is a breakup movie, but you know, let's that's then, a little that's a little disingenuous. And then this one is being described as I've seen the word Odyssey thrown out thrown around a lot. Well, it is. I mean, it is basically the Odyssey, right? Like, like there is elements to that too. Um, I, every time you get a journey, you're going to invoke the Odyssey, but um, yeah, or Odyssey. It's not called the Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> all these Greek, uh, these Greek nerds are going to get on me. <laughs> the Odyssey by Homer. Um, <laughs> um, but I'm happy. I'm happy this is here. And I, I had a great time in the theater. I we had a bad audience. Um, it was a pretty full theater, but they were very quiet. Um, yeah. And uh, this is not this is not a movie that is taking itself seriously. And I think that's important to know. I think it's important to know that Ari Aster is funny and this is what he thinks is funny. So if you see, and I know we said spoilers, I actually don't even want to, well, I mean, if you're listening to this, you're listening to this because you're okay with spoilers. You know, if you see the penis monster in the attic and you're like, what, what is this garbage? (laughs) Like then, then this isn't for you because Ari Aster, I would say, has done a good job of priming us on what's funny. And, you know, if you're with him, that should be funny. And it should be a revelation, too. Uh, I, I, I want to I wanna write papers on this movie. I want this movie to be studied in university. Like, you know, you could do your dissertation on Ari Aster's relationship with his mother, right? Like, this is, it's, it's just, it's so much fun fun and it's at the same time and this is where you and i michael maybe differ it's fun and funny but it's also important at the same time oh no i i i think the i think the movie is very important and um i in a strange way you know as much as i had issues with the movie i found myself like looking up youtube videos on the movie i'm i'm ashamed to say i did type in I was afraid explained into my YouTube search bar. <laughs> I just wanted to see like other interpretations of the movie. Sure. Because, you know, it, it, it did like kind of tickle my brain in that way. 
Um, but I did stumble upon this one video last night of Ari Aster and Martin, Martin Scorsese, friend of the pod. Um, <laughs> hey, Martin. At a, at a screening of, uh, of Bo is Afraid or after a screening of Bo is Afraid. And Martin is, uh, is interviewing Ari. And you can tell Ari is like super starstruck, but Scorsese loves this movie. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I mean, I felt this way before, but I, it just kind of solidified it. Like, this is an important movie. And Ari Aster is an important filmmaker. He is, he is going to be one of these filmmakers that we, we're going to be talking about down the line. So I am, I'm glad that this movie exists. I think it's very important. But that being said, Ari Aster, call your mom, bro. <laughs> yeah. Call your mom. Mother's Day. It, it, we saw, I, I actually saw this movie on Mother's Day, and I thought that was super appropriate. <laughs> How fitting. Yeah. How fitting. Like the, the, this is a Mother's Day movie, really. I also found it just kind of an aside, but I found it funny how like A24 like marketed this movie as like as a lot more um, accessible than it actually is. Like it got IMAX screenings and everything like, yeah, I found that so funny. I don't know why I was just like, what what, what marketing exactly is like, <laughs> yeah. I think people will will really latch on to this. Well, there was the whole, um, you know, there was the whole discourse that this would be a movie uh, to receive a, an F cinema score. And I, I, I don't know, Michael, do you know what a cinema score is? Yes, I, uh, I, I take a peek at the cinema score. Right. So for our listeners, if you've never heard of cinema score, cinema score is like, um, think of it as like um, uh, an after movie balloting. Like people are asked how they felt about the movie after they've seen it. Um, and and the scoring is is letter grades from from A to F. Um, traditionally, I think there are something like twenty F scores ever given um, among like movies since they started this. I think it's been going on for like fifteen or twenty years. And the movies that generally get F scores are sometimes they're really bad films, but mostly they're films that were marketed in a way that really really. Um, do not line up with the audience that went to see them. So um, Darren Aronofsky's mother got a, a, an F cinema score, right? I mean, I haven't seen that film. I know it's incredibly divisive. Love that movie. And, and we didn't really get to talk about this, but kind of an apt comparison, especially the first half of this movie, reminded me a lot of Mother. I still have um, seen it. Yeah, I know. I'm surprised I didn't like. Well, I guess that's why I like the first half of this movie so much because it had so much to do with, or so much in common with Mother. But, anyways, please go on. But well, I mean, all that's to say, like that's that is what the cinema score is, and for a lot of movies, it's a badge of honor. It's not. It's actually not a bad thing. Um, it's not like having a bad Rotten Tomato score. Like that, you know, your movie is probably just bad if you have a 10 percent um, Rotten Tomato score, but you know, this is a movie that could have achieved an F, but it wasn't, uh, it didn't actually get a cinema score because it didn't play in enough theaters, ultimately. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It was like, I guess we'll never know. I know. We'll never know. We'll never know. Yeah. So all of that being said, um, we did want to talk a little bit about something else tangentially related to Bo is Afraid, which is uh, A24 as you know, this kind of brand, uh, studio, uh, distributor, you know, A24 has grown so much. It's kind of like 
it's associated with independent films now and they're putting out some of the most interesting films right now um especially after everything everywhere all at once went home with the oscar uh, earlier this year so um what are your thoughts ryan a24 overrated underrated well uh, so I love A24, but I'm going to I'm going to do something you shouldn't do. I'm going to answer your question by asking you a question first. Can you think of another production company that when you see it, when 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 the trailer comes on and the production company is the first thing you see that you're already excited to see that movie? Is there is there any other production company other than Disney, I guess? Probably not. I mean, like you, you could at one point. I mean, maybe the Marvel movies. I don't know, like Marvel or whatever. Sure. But or like Fox um, Searchlight or you, yeah. like Universal. You're like, oh, I need to go see this Universal film. I think the only one that comes close is like, well, actually, I can think of another one. Um, like for some folks, they might feel this way about Blumhouse movies. Yeah. So if you like, uh, if you like horror movies, then you see Blumhouse. You're like, okay, I'm I'm into this. I think the only one that comes close is like neon, right? But A24 is, yeah, it's a brand yeah. in and of itself. Like you see A24, you kind of know what you're in for. You're like, okay, this is going to be either divisive or it's going to be like the best thing ever, or it's going to be a complete slow burn that only picks up in the last 15 <laughs> minutes. Yeah. It's going to be a newer, a newer director, most likely, you know, it's going to have a young cast that we may or may not know much about, you know, I, I'm, we made a little, uh, you know, to peek behind the curtain here, we made a little list um, of some of the A24 films and it's an absolute like list of bangers. Like, Everything Everywhere All at Once, um, the previous Ari Aster films, Hereditary Midsommar. Uh, you and I both love Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Uh, that was earlier this year, I think, right? Uh, that was last summer, so oh, August yeah. 2022. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. so like less than a year ago, um, eighth grade, Bo Burnham's directorial debut was incredible. Fantastic. Uh, X and Pearl, uh, those... I liked... I liked X a little bit more than Pearl. Uh, Pearl didn't quite hit for me. Oh, I loved Pearl. I think I liked Pearl more than X. So there we go. Like, I, you know, and then there's some, I haven't, I haven't seen the Green Knight. I'm assuming, have you seen this one or no? I, I have seen the Green Knight. Fantastic movie. Um, I saw, I actually saw it in theaters and it was just a great viewing experience. Um, huge scale, just yeah. very inventive. Yeah. I, 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 um, I read the Green Knight, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight in university. So I I um I don't know why I didn't go see this, but I was um you know I'm a nerd, I'm sorry. Uh, nerd alert <laughs> um men like men is another one men is one I was thinking about a lot while I was watching Bo is Afraid. Um that's another weird, weird film. And I'm blanking on who the filmmaker is. It's someone I like, though, I think. It's, uh, it's Alex Garland. Yes, yes. Uh, Alex Garland, who did, um, oh my goodness, he did Ex Machina, and he did the, um, he the did dystopian. Annihilation. Annihilation, thank you. Yeah. See, most most podcasts have like their their Jamie, their, uh, their Joe Rogan, like computer guy. You just got me. I just got it all up in my head, you know. 
Well, that's that's so good. We'll never expand. We'll never have to hire anyone. Um, I also forgot about the lighthouse. That's another one that that really evokes the same sort of like isolation that you feel in Bo's Afraid. Um, mm-hmm. The lighthouse is a little bit more quiet than both both literally and metaphorically um, than Bo's Afraid. So, to go back to the earlier question, underrated, overrated, or just rated? just rated like like i think we're at this point right now where you see a 24 and you know this is good even if it's not good like if you don't like an a24 film it's probably still good and it's not for you that that's that's i mean that's basically it right like with you like with it's so good it's so good you're just you're You're wrong wrong. yeah exactly you're (laughs) wrong michael bo is afraid is a four and a half or you're wrong um four and a half is uh, it's, it's four the, and a half out of ten is that what you're four, saying four and a half out of five it's the right it's the right score <laughs> you're gonna feel really you're gonna feel really dumb when uh you know in 20 years we look back on the masterpieces of Ari Aster and this is in in 20 years if I'm still doing this podcast with you <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say about that yeah I think I think a24 is just rated too but do you think there's a possibility of it becoming overrated do you think there's a possibility that the brand becomes you know almost diluted in a way the reality is I think they're doing it the right way that they are that they are empowering creators to make the movies they want as long as they do that and they don't do the Disney thing so Disney is a great like antithesis to what a24 is doing right there are so many people with their hands in the pot over at disney whether it's the star wars properties or the mcu properties to make sure everything like everything works together with a24 you're making you know you're making a two-hour film or a three-hour film and then you're done there's no there's no cohesion um that's necessary all you need is good films and you can be as weird as you want. Like we we've literally seen that. Everything everywhere all at once won like what seven Oscars? They won the best picture. This is a movie that featured multiple fights with dildos. Spoilers for everything everywhere all at once. Spoiler alert. Um, it also featured a silent scene between two rocks. Like yeah, exactly. And it was one of the most emotionally <laughs> striking scenes in any movie that I'd seen in a long time. Exactly. They're rocking. A twenty four knows what they're doing. I think. I think they're on a good path. I think what what worries me is. I see a lot of parallels between A24 and um, here's where we get our Gen Z and early, and younger millennial listeners back in. Have you ever heard of a clothing brand called Supreme, Ryan? I, I have not. I, I have not. <laughs> of course you haven't. So Supreme is a popular uh, streetwear clothing brand closely associated with uh, skateboarding and skateboard culture um has its roots in the 90s um but it became very popular like for a long time it was kind of like an if you know you know type of brand and they by the way they do like clothes they do um like skateboard accessories like decks wheels all sorts of things um they even do things you wouldn't expect expect them to do like there's supreme branded like fire extinguishers or bricks or money guns (laughs) things that become like collector's items right yeah and supreme always did these like 
very limited drops. And that's kind of how their profile rose. Very similar to A24. It's like, if you don't see it when it's out, you know, it might be harder for you to find, right? I mean, it's not really a one-to-one comparison with the films because the films usually end up on a streaming service now. But um, with Supreme, it's like most of those products, like you have to be there, you have to be tapped in to get that that shirt that you want or that cool hat that you want type of thing right so supreme was kind of like this if you know you know type of brand and then um i think early 2010s or mid 2010s it became super popular um just because like a lot of musicians and celebrities and stuff were wearing it so it became much more widely known um, another thing happened at this time, which was because of its raised profile, um, someone, I can't remember who exactly, um, but basically people who are not into that sphere, corporate heads basically bought Supreme. Things weren't looking so good for a couple of years. You know, the, the brand became like a little bit more oversaturated. Um, it just wasn't, it, it wasn't cool anymore right like it kind of lost its cool factor so all that's to say i worry that a24 at some point they're like look we're big enough to sell and get our payday right make our golden parachute and they sell to like some big studio and i think there are already talks about this um a year or so ago to sell to apple right and you know i fear that once that happens you know a24 becomes something that it's not that's very possible but there are examples of small studios getting to operate under a big spender like fox searchlight is a good example of like a very small studio Mm -hmm. um that has like a you know it has a, a sugar daddy that like you know, like like it, it has all the money it needs, but it is making still these independently minded movies and it has the freedom to do so under that little label. So, yeah, is it possible that Apple buys A24 and then we get like Ghosted 3 directed by Ari Aster? Sure. But I, I, I hope I hope that, you know, that never <laughs> happens. Um I think it's much more like you just though. you just brought this to mind, but can you imagine like a Ghostbusters movie directed by Ari Aster? Like I don't want to. <laughs> I, it, you kind of want to see it, right? I know it sounds fun to you know to give these these cool directors these IPs, but honestly, let them let them do their thing, right? Like we wouldn't have gotten Midsummer, we wouldn't have gotten, um, you know. But I mean, Bo is afraid. Think about like Alex Garland made Ex Machina. I don't want to see. <laughs> I don't need. I don't need Alex Garland's Ant Man four or you know. Yeah, but it's not to say that you know they can't do both. I mean, as long as it's something that they want to do, right? Like I'm looking at the Green Knight on my screen right now, and that's a movie that comes to mind where the director uh, David Lowry, I believe. He directed The Green Knight. He did that. Um, but he also directed like Pete's Dragon and the new Peter Pan and Wendy Ooh. for uh, Disney. Oh, right? rough. I don't know how either of those movies are. 
but I mean, it's clear that, you know, this is something that he wants to do or, you know, he's like, this pays no. my bills. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he's like, oh, I have a really good vision for Peter and Wendy. I, 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 maybe I'm a cynic, but this, these are just cash ins, right? Oh well, yeah. You never know. But that being said, um, if there were, if you had to pick a franchise, you had to give Ari Aster, which one would you want to see? <laughs> get astered oh my goodness um you know what i would love to see an ari aster aliens film Ooh, that's a good choice i think i think i would just like to see an ari aster sci-fi film period you just said franchise you didn't even yeah, answer but your no, no, question no. I, I already said Ghostbusters. Oh, okay, okay. But I'm just going off, like, you gave me the thought, like, so I would just love to see a yeah. sci-fi movie from him. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, there are elements of Bo is Afraid that almost feel sci-fi in, in, in a way, right? Just the, you know, the, the way that his consciousness is is altered and, and unsure. So, yeah, I, I want Ari Aster to make whatever he wants. And if what he wants to make is actually IP, go nuts. We have um, uh, Denis Villeneuve doing that right now. He is making mm-hmm. his dream, which is Dune, and he is doing the shit out of it. Like, that movie was incredible. Oh, yeah. So go nuts. If that's what you want to make, do it. Ari Aster, if you're listening to this, call your mom and then walk into Warner Brothers and ask for that Ghostbusters script. Yeah, that's or the alien script. Either one, we'd be happy either way. So, I want to move on to our next segment now. Um I think we had some letterbox stuff to talk about. Um, I'll let you start us off because I think you had something to share, right, Ryan? What did I have to share? You said you were going to share something about Letterbox. I or did didn't... you just say you were going to open up Letterbox on your screen? Yeah. Is that I, what you meant? I just like. Oh, looking... yeah. <laughs> My bad. My bad. Sorry. Don't, don't, don't cut this. Don't cut this at all. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. What, what do you, what do you want to share, Michael? I think you have something to share from Letterbox. <laughs> I do have something to share from Letterbox. So uh, it's not really Letterbox. Uh, well, it's Letterbox related, but I stumbled upon this TikTok. Sorry, I just want to take a I just want to take a quick quick pause here um, because it took me a while. For our listeners, Letterbox, if you are not aware, is a website um, much like Goodreads and all these other sort of databases. It lets you log your movies. Anyway, sorry, Michael. I, I just you know we take it for granted. So I stumbled upon this uh, this TikTok, and it's supposedly um, the most unattractive top four that you can list on Letterbox. So for those that don't know, and <laughs> let's say Ryan's explanation did convince you to check out Letterbox, um, on your profile you can list your top four favorite movies, and according to this TikTok, this is the um, most unattractive top four. So I want to see if you can guess what the first movie is. And this is going to be really funny just based on prior conversations we've had. So what's your guess at number one, Ryan? Uh, unattractive in terms of like, this is a bad movie? Um, No, like you look at someone's uh, letterbox profile and instantly it makes them 
like it's like a turnoff. Like if this, if this, if this, it, was... it gives you, it gives you the ick. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Joker. No, not Joker. No. Um. So number one is Bridge of Spies. <laughs> I am. I am ashamed to admit that I love that movie. I. Love, I know you love that movie. I love this movie. Bridge of Spies is a good movie. Um, is it in your top four though? Uh, I, I, I'm pulling up my top four right now. Um, no, it is not on my top four. Well, then you're you're safe. You're safe. <laughs> Just don't mention it to anyone. I hope I don't have any of these. Okay, what's number two? Um, number two. Do you want to take a guess? Well, I mean, you got to give me a clue. Give me, give me a clue. Give me a year. Give me a director. This so number two is a movie that uh, won an Oscar. Um, I can't remember what year it won the Oscar. Just let me quickly look for best up. picture. For best picture, yes. Green Book. Uh, no, it won the Oscar in two thousand four. Oh, uh, pianist. No. Do you want me to tell you? Or uh, is it Crash? No, it is crash. Oh, it's crash. <laughs> I'm just going through all the bad Oscar films of the 2000s. <laughs> so number three yeah. on this list, okay, um, is a kids animated movie. Came out a couple of years ago. I think it's universally disliked. Minions. No, that's that's a well liked movie. I mean, not by me, but it's a well liked. Oh movie. man, kids movie universally disliked. Angry Birds. No, Getting Close though, definitely has something to do with the phones. Oh, oh the Emoji Movie. There you go. Oh. The Emoji Movie is number three. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and the fourth movie, I don't really know too much about. Um, so I might just tell you. Yeah, that's I don't know fine. how to create a, a clue for it. Hillbilly Elegy. Oh my goodness! Yeah, that that is an absolute mess of a film. Yeah. Um, do you mind telling us why? Oh well, it's it's a. I I, I don't know if you're you're setting me up or if you actually don't know. It's basically. Uh, no, I I genuinely I haven't uh, seen this movie or seen anything it, about it. It's a movie about the plight of like the Trumper. Like you know, it, it is it is the movie about that sort of like middle American blue collar family that is just really misunderstood in terms of you know how they how they operate and all that. So it's from that perspective, and it's a pretty sincere film in terms of like what it's trying to do to that perspective. It's not it's not not good. Amy Adams and I think Meryl Streep. I want to say really i i i hope i'm getting that right it's definitely star power behind that movie like just looking at this still on letterbox like you (laughs) you know you know what you're into Um, oh um i didn't realize that jd vance um the politician is like actually in this movie Oh, like, I guess it's based on his book. Fantastic. I think this is a Ron Howard film, too, if I'm not mistaken. It is. What is going on? Why are there so many yep. well-known people behind J.D. Vance is the writer of this. Yeah, like he's the original writer on this movie. Uh, J.D. Vance is uh, he's a 
he was he had like a trump endorsement in the last election well there you go that that's everything you need to know that is a pretty like that's a very good red flag i don't agree with the bridge of spies i actually feel <laughs> quite quite attacked there um but the yeah. other three are, are very uh very appropriate this is a pretty chaotic list like bridge of spies is definitely the outlier but the other three are definitely a red flag um in terms of uh, what kind of person this might be? So I think I think it kind of hits the mark. It's probably one of the most unattractive <laughs> top fours I've ever seen. So um, we're gonna move on to our uh, final segment, our second last segment of the episode, um, a segment that is quickly becoming my favorite. Okay, <laughs> boomer. Yeah, this is my least favorite segment of the show. All right, Michael, I'm ready to learn. <laughs> All right, so I've got a I've got a good one for you. So, um, for anyone that doesn't know, Ryan is an elder millennial. I know that the segment is called "Okay Boomer." He's not <laughs> actually a boomer. He is an elder millennial, which means uh, he grew up at a time without the internet. You know, like he he remembers what it was like before um, all of the chaos. Me, myself, I'm a little bit more on the border, millennial, Gen Z. But there is a term that the like pure Gen Z kids have come up with for the elder millennials and the things that elder millennials do. And that term is chuggy. Now, have you ever heard of this term chuggy? Right? <laughs> I have not heard of this term. I don't think anyone has. I am convinced that all these things you're telling me are just your... Like your bow, and this is how you see the world. That that is what I have decided. Well, you're absolutely wrong because <laughs> um, I'm actually looking at an article about Chugi in the New York Times. Oh my so, goodness! <laughs> yeah, it's it's legit. Um, Chugi is described as not quite basic. Um, it's not quite uncool. It's not embarrassing or even always negative. Chugi can be used broadly to describe someone who is out of date or trying too hard. And while a lot of chuggy things are associated with millennial women, the term can be applied to anyone of any gender and any age. So um, just a, a sneak preview of some of the things that are considered chuggy. Um, we have a uh, some Instagram captions from the Instagram account Chug Life. <laughs> which I'm assuming is making fun of these Instagram captions. Um, so writing 20 fun on your 21st birthday uh, Instagram <laughs> caption post. I have or, never done that. I have never <laughs> done that. It's just, it's just in case you want to know, okay? I'm feeling 22 on 22nd birthdays. No, nope, didn't do that. Um, writing thank you next or life's a beach. No, no, absolutely not. <laughs> This next one is going to cut a little bit deep, Ryan. Uh, uh, writing, I did a thing. I mean, <laughs> fine. I definitely did that multiple times. I'm sorry. <laughs> Other things that might fall under Chugi are um, what is known as the millennial girl boss aesthetic. So um, I guess these are like just products, like things that you would buy that... Um, you know, might be associated with elder millennial woman, um, like these, I think I've seen them at like dollar stores. They're like almost like blocks with like printed with, with print printed text on them. 
Oh, um, I know example. exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. This one says, I love you more than bacon. Yeah. <laughs> I, I see these all the time when I go to HomeSense on the regular. Yep. And then you've got some... <laughs> Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of this uh, would fit in at like home sense and, yeah. and all of that. Yeah, this sounds uh, like my life. And then for the guys, uh, some things that are chuggy are um, tank tops with like I guess a beach scene on them, just like basic tank tops, uh, wooden sunglasses, chuggy, uh, Adidas uh, slip on flip flops, chuggy as hell. Um, Chugi is also getting married at 24 and having his and hers bath towels in that font. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's from uh, Sophie for now on uh, on Twitter. I do know what she means. Yeah. So Chugi um, is a new thing to add to your lexicon. How do you feel about it, Ryan? I, I, you know what? I I feel attacked, but honestly, this one this one is actually a little correct. Like. I, I'm gonna go watch Bridge of Spies to get this out of my uh, to get this bad taste out of. My oh mouth. no! Tasting trading one bad taste for another. <laughs> you haven't seen Bridge of Spies. You you just do yeah, wait. I'm and then, keep it that way. No, see, I'm gonna add that. We have a future segment coming, listeners. So pay attention uh, or or keep an eye out. But Michael and I are going to uh, we're gonna impart some knowledge on one another uh, using film and. Uh, Bridge of Spies is getting added to my list, just for the record. Um, I'm not confirming or denying this, but um, I may uh, suddenly come down with a sickness for that episode. <laughs> I'm not able to attend. You're going to love it. Steven Spielberg's best war film. So um, we've come to the end of another episode of Hot Take Time Machine. Um I don't know how many hot takes we actually got in on this one. There were there weren't a lot of hot takes today, but you know what? It it's still it, you know you're not here for the hot takes. You're here for Michael and I. That's yeah, it. you're here for two work buds. Sometimes um, sometimes we're just right, and there aren't hot <laughs> takes. You're here to listen to our opinions, only ours. <laughs> so I think it's uh, I think it's only fair to finish off with. Uh, you know what we're excited for what's coming up um i realized at the beginning of the episode i didn't share what i watched this week so i did I a bad I'll job of off with that. throwing that back to you i'm sorry michael it's all good ryan that's why i'm here um so what did i watch this week i had a pretty slow week in terms of movies and tv shows um apart from bo is afraid i watched air last night oh okay the new um the new film about how nike signed michael jordan and how'd you feel um it it is it's decent it's yeah, like yeah slightly above decent i guess like it's it's not mid because it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't awful but it was just like it wasn't bad it wasn't amazing um i was kind of annoyed slash i kind of found it hilarious how much that needed that movie needed to remind you that it takes place in the 80s and that these guys all work at Nike. There was so many like, yeah. hey, you remember this? We're in the process of like making this. Like when they had that <laughs> whole conversation about just do it, I was like, oh, come on. Yeah, I know. That was very stupid. That was very, very stupid. I know. Yeah, I, like I'm more mad at it because I wanted it to be, you know, it, it was this whole like big thing of like Matt Damon and Ben Affleck reuniting on, on a movie where they're writing it together and it just it did not deliver on that promise 
Yeah, it was just like it kind of felt like uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck got together and they were like, hey, you want to make this movie about Nike? And like, you know, it it was kind of like they just invited all of their friends and just kind of like shot the shit for like two hours type of thing. You know, I thought the casting was really weird, especially the guy. I don't know his name who plays the the engineer of the shoe. I thought he was horrible. Uh, I, I I don't have any strong feelings on him, uh, mainly because I don't know how that the character he's based on is in real life. Um, but yeah, it just felt like you know, let's get our old buddy. Um, oh, Jason Bateman. Yeah, let's get our old buddy Jason Bateman. Let's get Chris Tucker. Let's get Marlon Wayans to join us for a bit. You know. Yeah. It, yeah. And just yeah, you know, it just didn't really do a lot with what it had with, with what it was doing you know um another thing i noticed about the movie it felt like it was like a covid movie in a in a couple of ways because like it don't like everything felt very empty yeah you know and there were a lot of scenes where it was like one-on-one like matt damon and another character you know or like well, one the- character is, is in one location and then the other characters in another location and they're just talking over the phone. Yeah, there were a lot of phone calls in that movie. Yeah, it's it just kind of stuck out to me. I was like, huh, I wonder if this is like a COVID movie or something. Because, um, yeah, it, it just felt like there wasn't a lot of action, not action in the sense of like John Wick, but like there wasn't a lot of movement. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree completely. I'm, you know, it was fine, but it was like, yeah, you kind of wanted it to be more. Yeah, but honestly, just a decent, decent movie. You know, uh, something to throw on when you're doing your laundry type of movie. You know? Yeah, except for when Viola Davis is on the screen because I thought she was fantastic. Oh yeah, I mean Viola Davis is amazing in everything she does, so that's a given. But what are you excited for, Ryan? Well, we're getting we're getting close to Spider Man, I think. Spider-Man is really like that. That is everything for me. Um, beyond that, though, um, not a whole lot. Like Blackberry, kind of maybe. I know that's something that um, that that you're excited for, um, but I just I can't wait to see Spider-Man. So like, let's let's get Spider-Man. Oh, I do have tickets to go see um, Fast Ten on Monday. Um, so that'll be great. I'm excited for that. I know that's going to be an absolute garbage movie, uh, yeah. but you know, a train wreck is fun to watch sometimes. I agree. I'm looking forward to Blackberry and um, Across the Spider Verse. I'm kind of looking forward to Fast Ten. Um, I think it's going to be again. It's gonna. It's definitely going to have some hilarious parts to it. You know. And yeah. It. It's a movie that's so self aware at this point. Well, not to push back, but, like, I disagree. I do not think the movie is self-aware. At least, like, Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel is not. Vin Diesel, every single time. He has to be. He has to be. You would think? I disagree. I think Vin Diesel thinks that he is making a masterpiece every single time. I don't think that man is capable of self-awareness. Well, Vin Diesel aside, I, I think the filmmakers know that, like, they're 
at least self-aware because they they literally went to space in the last movie. Yeah, I think that was Vin always Diesel a joke. Was, I think Vin Diesel thought that was possible. That was always a meme. <laughs> One of my favorite self-aware moments from the Fast and Furious series is in Fast Eight or is it Fast Nine? Which is the one with uh, John Cena as that's Vin Diesel's nine. brother? That's nine. That's nine. So they bring in um, they bring in John Cena and the whole time you're wondering you're like john cena and vin diesel as brothers they look nothing alike like <laughs> who 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 are we trying to fool here and they actually take the time to explain why they don't look alike i think like charlize theron's character is like oh wow you have like this percentage of like whatever uh ethnicity in your dna or something and that's like the explanation for why he doesn't look like Vin is Diesel. that self-awareness or is that the movie trying to be serious i think that's self-awareness self-awareness would be like ah you two don't look alike that would be self-awareness but this movie is like you're just describing midichlorians like to make this make sense this is i think you have to be take... self-aware to even address that <laughs> to even think like oh we have to put this in the script somehow well they have eyes to see that they don't look alike so they have, they have to justify i mean it. they could have just said nothing about it though that's the thing <laughs> they could have said nothing oh and this everyone's looking at each other weirdly like are, are, they're, they're brothers like what are we talking about this is what and I think in this one, uh, isn't Brie Larson supposed to be Vin Diesel's sister? Uh, I'm not sure. I, I don't know enough. I don't know enough here. You, you'll you have to see it and get back to me. I'm pretty sure that she's his sister in this one. So I'm looking forward to seeing how they explain that. So you're excited for Fast 10? Uh, yeah. The new animated Spider-Man movie. I know. We can't um, wait. We'll definitely do a pod on that, I think. Yeah. If that works out. I'm excited for all the same things. Um, I will add something to the list. It's a little bit further out into the future. The new trailer for, or the only trailer for Killers of the Flower Moon oh. just dropped. Oh. And it looks fantastic. Um, yeah, the new Martin Scorsese flick, uh, Killer, Killers of the Flower Moon. I yeah. think it's going to be on Apple uh, Apple TV+. Plus. Yes, that is an Apple streaming. movie. Yep, it's an yeah, Apple movie. It looks fantastic. I'm really excited for that. Yeah, me too. I haven't seen the trailer yet, but I, I definitely did that. I, I should also note, I'm excited to go back and play some more Tears of the Kingdom. I'll be doing that for like a month, probably <laughs> yeah. more. So that pretty much wraps us up, I think. Yeah, episode two in the books. Do, do you have any final thoughts anything no, else I, I you think want to say ryan we are well on our way to becoming the number one hot take time machine podcast oh we didn't even talk about this yeah we are the number two hot take time machine apparently two bozos thought to make <laughs> a sports podcast of the same name not knowing that eventually they would be overtaken by a movie and, uh, and tv podcast of the same name so so if you are listening to this, wherever you're listening to this, give us a five-star review so that we can surpass them. And when you type in Hot Take Time Machine into your search bar, we are the first ones that come up. 
<laughs> and if you were listening to this wondering where the sports talk was, uh, we apologize. You're looking for the other hot take times. They heard that one uh, bit I had about the Warriors <laughs> the, in 2017. Finally. Like, oh, oh, finally, yeah. finally. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Michael. And thank you to everyone for listening. And uh, we look forward to bringing you more next week. Yes. Thank you, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye for now. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>